Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a sports nutritionist, and I'm a bodybuilder. Folks, Rob Porches Fortney. I'm a former editor at Muscle May International, former competitive bodybuilder, and a powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and LiftForHope.org. And with us today, we're privileged to have uh, Dr. Randall Strassen. Uh, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. For, for those that don't know, um, Mr. Strassen, Dr. Strassen, I guess it is, runs Iron Mind Enterprises Incorporated. He's also the editor-in-chief uh, and publisher of Milo uh, Training Journal. Um, geez, I guess you, you wrote a column called Iron Mind for Iron Man Magazine for over 12 years. Um, yeah. And then you, you've authored a bunch of books. Um, you've been privileged to kind of sit in and film a lot of a lot of lifting and strength sports over the years. Uh, covered some Olympic Games and... Uh, just, just a ton of stuff. So we just wanted you to come on and talk about that. What, what I want to know is just how it all got started. How'd you, how'd you get started going from a, uh, you know, you, you got your PhD in psychology, and then uh, how'd we get into the, the iron game, if you will? Yeah, you know, as a hobby turning into a job was was really what it was. I was uh, working in corporate America. I was doing marketing research after getting uh, the, the PhD in psychology with research psychology. And I did uh, marketing sorts of things too, besides research. And anyway, I sent five or six installments of the of the Iron Mind Sports Psychology column on spec to John Balick at Iron Man Magazine. And John made my day. I mean, he said we're going to run these, and I was thrilled. And uh, then what I did was, you know, I think I was feeling, well, gosh, the world is mine at this point. I'm going to write an article in 20 rep squats and send it to Esquire. Well, they rejected it so quickly. I mean, that's a speed record for U.S. Mail. But I was unfazed by that. I said to my wife, well, I'll turn this into a little booklet. Well, next thing you know, the book Super Squats came out. It was a bestseller in the field. And I said, gosh, you know, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. And it just became another uh, sort of T-shirt, you know, entrepreneur in California. You know, this, is, this is what you're supposed to do in California. You guys in the East Coast are supposed to go work for Goldman Sachs or something, be successful in California. You're supposed to start a little business, and that's what Iron Mind did. Okay, okay. Um, you yourself, what, what is your background in, in strength sports training and anything? Yeah, you know, I, I started actually, you know, with the most important exercise of all. When, when I was very young, my, one of my uncles took me with him to his workout, and I did curls and maybe bench presses. So that was my introduction. And I, know, I know that's kind of funny because we at Ironman, you know, we're really strength-oriented, and, you know, we don't have people who do a lot of curls. We don't have people who do a lot of bench presses. So that was really my introduction. And then I was playing hockey, ice hockey uh, from the time, I don't know, it was like five or six probably, and every year my back would hurt, even as a kid, and I found that by lifting weights, I didn't have the backache, and I knew I was never going to be a big, huge, strong guy, but I grew up reading uh, the John McCallum articles in Strength and Health, and the old Iron Man magazine did 20-rep squats, went from 155 to 185, thought, boy, this is pretty good for me, and 
that's sort of my involvement with, with lifting in a nutshell. You know, just an ordinary guy who really liked it. I always liked uh, strength sports. Not something I could excel at. And, I, you know, I had fairly modest goals, you know, even later in life. For example, I lived in Northern California, and I'd always read about Petaluma, the great wrist wrestling contest. It went on for, like, 25 years. What world of sports used to go there? And, and I started training for it. I said, you know, I have a goal. I have two goals, actually. I want to win in the first round, and I don't want to get my arm broken. <laughs> well, I didn't get my arm broken either of the two years, and I did win. It did take me two tries, but I didn't win in the first round. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have really modest credentials like that. I'm 60 now. At 59, I could still squat a little over 300 pounds for 20 reps. I think I'll try to do that again this year. Um, I have in the past held the, the Masters Queen and Jerk record in my bodyweight class, uh, U.S. record. And the big news, of course, is London Olympics. Colin Bryce from Giants Live, who's doing the BBC uh, commentary for uh, weightlifting, he and I have a clean and jerk contest. He's something like 20 years younger and 20 kilos heavier, so we're going to have to handicap this, but we're going to score <laughs> off for clean and jerk contest. In nice. So nice. That, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I'm, I'm a yeah. real fan, really, is what it is. You got to get that on the live web feed so we can all watch that. <laughs> Cheer for me. I mean, my <laughs> line is, you know, old age and treachery always trump youth and skill. So I've got there you go. Number. You've got the old man strength going on now too, yeah. which is a good thing. We, we always talk about that around here. A bunch of we're a bunch of old guys. Um, yeah. How, how did uh, how did Milo come about then? How did you first start that? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because I always favored the strength side of the Iron Game, and and you guys know this. The bodybuilding magazines always look good, and the lifting mm-hmm. stuff always looked awful. I mean, the lifting stuff always looked like some sixth grader put it together. Yeah, and the the bodybuilding magazines were slick. You could see them on newsstands, and I thought, well, let's do a high quality strength oriented thing, and the world would beat a path to our door. Well. We tried to do high quality and guarantee you the, the world did not be a path to our door in terms of numbers on Milo. But, but that was the original plan. And then the other thing was, kind of had this idea in the back of my mind of, you know, high quality literary journals, you know, they're quarterlies and they're called journals. And so we did, we did this as a quarterly. We introduced the word journal in this kind of publication. And, you know, in the years since, so many things in, in the strength field now, you know, have the word journal in them. And we'd like to think that was our influence. But it was supposed to be strength-oriented and high-quality, good paper, high-quality photos, and uh, cover everything uh, on the strength side. Although we have kind of a funny focus. We, you know, most things po- focus in the middle, sort of like at the level of national championships. And anyone who reads Milo will notice that we're not really there. We're, we're either at the very top level of the Olympics, world championships, and then we also talk about what some guy's doing in his garage. Yeah. You know, we get the two ends, the grassroots and and the highest level in the sports. No, it's, I can speak personally to the grassroots. I know, I mean, you guys have have pitched in at Iron Mind, and I've thrown several strength competitions for charity and stuff like that, and and always been willing to throw me stuff to, to hand out, which is great. I mean, I think it speaks highly of, of your, your, your company well, you. and uh, the support they give, um, the, the strength sports. Um, another thing I want to touch on is you've been privileged to sit in and view and speak with a lot of uh, – just great people and great lifting teams and stuff. How, how did that come about? How, how did you get into that um, arena? Yeah, you know, I'm lucky. You know, I, I read once Hugh Hafner said of himself, he said, I've been really fortunate. I've been able to live out my adolescent fantasy. And I kind of went, gosh, I have something in common with Hugh Hefner because I sort of feel that <laughs> way about myself in some ways. And, and the way it started really was I always uh, was inclined to, to write as a hobby, and the, I mentioned the Ironman column, which you had you had kindly remembered. 
started in 88 with Iron Man magazine. And then someone said to me, start to take pictures. Well, I, I didn't want to learn anything about photography. Everything's backwards in photography. All the numbers seem backwards. They're reciprocal, and you, know, you get a headache reading and stuff. But turned out that was really a door opener because you start walking around with a professional camera around your neck, everyone wants to be your best friend because they see photo op, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, what happened was I started going into all these major contests. And it's funny, if I look now at, say, current world records in the sport of Olympic-style weightlifting, I have seen almost every one of those records set because over the last 20-some years, I probably, more than any person in the world, have gone to top weightlifting contests. I, I mean, if you think of, for example, Olympic Games World Championships, uh, Asian Championships, European Championships as the dominant ones. I go to all those things. Um, and that's why I've seen all these world records. And so that's how it started. I was originally riding and then carrying a camera. And so I go as usually as a credentialed photographer. I'll be going to London, uh, the fifth Olympic Games, as a photographer. And uh, one thing just kind of led to another. And, if, for example, uh, let's see, April I'll go to Turkey for the European Weightlifting Championships, and then later in the same month I'll go to Korea for the Asian Weightlifting Championships. These are both, they're called Continental Championships, as you can guess from the names. They're run-up events for the, the London Olympics. Mm -hmm. We'll see some top lifts there. Nice. Powerlifting, I don't go to too much. Uh, World Tournament, man, I get to about maybe every other year. like to go to Highland Games. love going to Highland Games. I mentioned Highland Games background. Um, uh, arm wrestling was something that was really kind of a passion <laughs> Uh, in, in younger days, not so much now. And then, uh, just going to mention, uh, then you guys came with the, the um, Cabinet Crush and stuff yeah. like that. We actually talked about that a lot last week. We had Bill Pitchy yeah. on, um, and he was talking about crushing grip strength. Um, you want to talk about that a bit, how the, how the big uh, sure. yeah, grip strength kind of goes, goes, goes back to my youth also because uh, maybe it was about 1966, and I have to look at my own book to get the year right, uh, the original Iron Man magazine sold these really tough, tough grippers. I mean, they were, and they were a cult item in the positive sense. I mean, they didn't sell very many, and they're really crude looking, but those of us who have run into them remembered them. And what happened was years later, I mentioned that I had this fairly modest goal of, of winning the first round of Petaluma and not getting my arm broken. Well, part of that preparation involved working with grippers, and I pulled out this old gripper that I had from about 1966, and now we're, we're two-plus decades later. And long story short, I, I talked to the man who had originally made those and said, hey, you know, what if Ironmine tried to kind of bring these back? And we, we did that initially. We, we brought them back to that original product, but within probably... Oh, a few months, we had already started changing the design. One thing led to another. Captains of Crush Grippers came out a few years after that. And they are, I think, frankly, they are one of the best-known actual products, specific products, in the, in the strength world. I mean, they've, they've gotten us publicity at the regional newspaper level, Business Week, Stanford Magazine, because people know these things. And they're passionate. Our joke is, you know, what do really strong guys sleep with under their pillow? A Captains of Crush Grippers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, let's. I know Lonnie had a. You had a news blurb, and then we'll go to break after that. Lonnie, you want to go ahead and get that out? Oh, of course. Yeah, you're gonna pull that out on me when I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Hang on, just a second here. I'll just. Good. Um. Yeah. This is actually one that I had read recently, and this is um, uh, Mike Nelson, who's actually sitting here with me. Uh, he came down from the Twin Cities, and um, I, I don't know, Mike, if you how much you want to talk about this, just quickly, but. 
um, it, the title of this is Resistance Exercise Enhances Myofibrillar Protein Synthesis with Graded Intakes of Whey Protein in Older Men. This is uh, Tarnopolsky and Stu Phillips Group. They do a lot of this work. But I think the interesting thing about this particular study is they were looking at older guys and suggesting that they need uh, more protein uh, than younger guys. So the whole thing is about it's about basically optimal dose of protein. I don't know what you want to add, Mike. Yeah, it was basically showing that Stu Phillips' earlier work showed that about 20 grams of protein was, you know, maximal for protein synthesis in younger people. And and here, like Lonnie said, they're showing that 40 grams may be more maximal. And older people, because they have sort of a diminished response to protein in terms of muscle protein synthesis, may actually need more protein to get the same acute response. So pretty interesting. In the end of the abstract, it just says, these data suggest that in contrast to younger adults in whom post-exercise rates of muscle protein synthesis are saturated with 20 grams of protein, you know, and that's an important sort of uh, point, I think, for our younger listeners, but um, exercise muscles of older adults respond to higher protein doses. So I don't know where we fit then. You know, Phil, you I were saying... I was going to say, define older to give me a reason to eat even more. Yeah, that's right. So I think we'll put ourselves conveniently in the older category. We can have quite, twice as much protein. There you go. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. All right, that's so, all I got. Good. We'll, we'll go to break real quick, and then uh, we'll come back with uh, talk to Dr. Strassen some more. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow... Uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, and we're back, folks. I'm um, going to actually hand the mic over to, to Mike Nelson real quick. He has another uh, related news blurb here that he wants to shoot out. Yeah, this is another study called Protein Ingestion Prior to Sleep Improves Post-Exercise Overnight Recovery. Uh, this is from Van Loon's group. And that's one of the things you hear all the time is, you know, should I have protein before I go to bed? Is that going to help me recover faster? And to my knowledge, this is actually the first study that's actually looked at that. And they used 16 healthy young males, had them do some resistance training, and then gave them some protein. This is at the end of the day. And the source that they used for protein was, looks like a casein, I believe, here. And what they found was that the first study to show that protein ingestion immediately prior to sleep is effectively digested and absorbed and thereby stimulated muscle protein synthesis. 
So having protein before bed may help you recover better. You know what, Phil, I, in, all you guys, I think this is interesting, too, because I just got into a little debate with a, 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 a reviewer of one of the articles I just submitted. It was ultimately accepted, but um, I was actually suggesting casing may be helpful before bed, and that's exactly, exactly what this says. So I feel like saying, nah, nah. <laughs> well, you can send this to him. You know, now I admitted it was speculation at the time because this study was not out yet. I mean, yeah. Mike's always got the freshest stuff. I'm sure this is a 2012 paper. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, that's what we've got from the world of science, I guess. Protein there we stuff. go. Okay, so we're going to come back with uh, Dr. Strassen here, and now today we're going to kind of talk about um, how the world of strength sports has changed since you started Milo. Um, I'll just kind of let you take it from there, and we'll jump in with some questions and stuff. I mean, just in general, yeah. and then we'll roll from there. Sure, perfect. I would say, I mean, word growth. I mean, it's expanded. Mm-hmm. It's expanded yeah. tremendously. There's been a number of forces. I mean, I think Highland Games have grown. And, I mean, grip strength wasn't really something that was spoken about, you know, in mainstream strength world. You know, now there's a large group relatively doing that. CrossFit just tremendously energized uh, interest in Olympic-style weightlifting, at mm-hmm. least at a recreational sort of level. Powerlifting, I'm not that close to. I, I know that there's so many more federations now. I, I'm guessing that means that there are more total competitors. Strongman went from just a tiny little backyard thing to to a sport now that in the U.S. has thousands of amateur competitors. Mm-hmm. So I'll use that as kind of a way to set the stage and ask yeah. some specific questions. Yeah, I'm, what I'm wondering is how much of this do you think is, is due to the Internet and media? I mean, is it that there's it's just getting out there faster and people are learning about it more? Because I know... You know, when I started in, in, in strength, there, you know, internet really wasn't there. And if you were a power lifter, you might know four or five other guys, but now you can connect with millions um, yeah. via the I, internet. I, yeah, I think you've absolutely put your finger on something because people used to say that one of the reasons why Olympic-style weightlifting was stagnating in the U.S. is because there wasn't a newsstand publication that really focused on the sport. Well, Internet took that sort of communication and, I mean, it cubed it. And I think actually the best example I can, I'm can i familiar with in, say, the last 10 years or so, uh, someone really harnessing that is CrossFit. CrossFit recognized that. The first time I heard the word blog, it was from Greg Glassman, the founder of CrossFit. And Greg was saying, well, you guys need to do a blog, do you? And uh, they, they realized that, and you're absolutely right, communication YouTube videos, getting on forums, but it's, it's sharing the information, it's sharing the enthusiasm. I can't tell you how many people have written us over the years at Milo and said, thank you for telling me about the Highland Games, did not know about this, now I, you know, I, I can't wait to get involved, or I heard about these, and now thanks to you guys, I know how to get involved. And that's what people want. They want inspiration, and then they, they just need that little how-to to get out there and do it themselves. So the Internet's been fabulous for that. What about the um, kind of this resurgence of, uh, I, what do you call it, I guess garage gyms and small yeah. shop gyms, kind of like CrossFit. I know myself, that's what mine is, and, and I've got everybody from, from firefighters to you know SWAT team members, but then a ton of just regular day, everyday people, uh, housewives, and, and I push them to compete. And once yeah. they do once, they kind of love it. Um, do you see? Do you see these? We, we talked about this before. These uh, kind of shop gyms or garage gyms as a, as a big influence as well. Absolutely, and and maybe the next step will be people just training at home themselves. I mean, not just going to small gyms 
or maybe they have a trainer or they have a fixed routine, but I think the next step is people just training by themselves or with maybe like mm-hmm. one friend or something like that. Yeah. Not you know, guys. The opposite, I'm sorry, guys. The opposite of you know, like the large commercial gym that some of us were used to, you know, like mm-hmm. a couple decades ago. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to interject. This is you know a conversation that I think we're in more agreement. When we had Brian Moss, you know, the, of course the famous physique mm-hmm. photographer on, he was of quite the opposite mentality that. You know, um, local gyms, bodybuilding style or power style gyms, county gyms, if you will, you know, or what I would call an 80s gym, that they were dinosaurs. And I think we've had a couple of guests on that sort of felt opposite in a way. Yeah, but that, didn't, but you know, this, what, is a, this is a rebirth in a way, you know. This yeah, but wasn't he referring to more large gyms like World Gym, Powerhouse Gym, Gold's Gym? Wasn't he referring to that more than well, he was, what we were, were talking about to? commercially commercially viable, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just, it was interesting that what we were, what I was just hearing, you know, because it does seem sort of opposite and a little bit more congruent with what we're, what Pep Wall has said and some of our other guests that, you know what I mean? That I mean, there is a, a niche to be had there, and in a way it's it's sort of a resurgence. And, and you're right, Rob, I'm sure, you know, powerlifting is probably not going to take on the multi-million dollar facility kind of thing that a, a general population gym would but because you know what i've really come to understand over the years i mean even though i you know kind of had an idea years ago as well but there really is a difference between what is a fitness club or a health club and a gym there really is and i think even even when you get down to you know what is you know a gym even at that level there's there's different levels you know there's places like like I would say, some places like you know bodybuilders gym, you know Pep Walls gym there in Akron, Ohio. I would say that is right on the cusp of crossing over, you know, on, on the you know, you know quote unquote wrong side of what we're talking about right now, which is a little bit less. Yeah, I don't know if this is making sense. But well, yeah. wouldn't what I'm thinking here is wouldn't uh, I guess we'll ask Dr. Strawson first, but. Do you think that, I mean, compared to the 80s, it seems to me that the general population now is less interested in just the pure training for pure physique. It's You're seeing a lot more people, they're getting their physiques by concentrating more on their performance than ever before. Well, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think CrossFit's done that. And, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to say, too, you know, in terms of balancing these, uh, seemingly contradictory views on what's going on with gyms, I think the answer might be that this whole market is expanding. We're seeing more of all types of gyms. Yeah. And, and that way, you know, if you're focusing on one end, you see that part growing more, and you're not as aware that the other end is also growing a lot. There are more people training, and why? It's, it's this thing that you just touched on. And, and I think that people have this interest in doing well. Um, they want to look good and people see, gosh, they do something like CrossFit, they do well and they look at the same time. That, you know, that's that's a good combination. There is this functionality, though. I think there is an interest in that. Look, 20 years ago, did you ever hear anybody talk about functional strength? And now, I mean, you can't get three sentences down the road before somebody <laughs> says something about functional strength. Yeah. Um. No, I think this is a great topic. What I want to get to next is, um, because you've been around it so long, the Olympic weightlifting. Um, the state of the Olympic weightlifting in the United States and how it has changed. Um, Not good. Yeah, you're seeing a lot. I mean, gosh, our best competitors now are lucky to be ranked 30th. 
You know, and, you know that really is about it. And, and you know, you're a brave man to say that because you be, you can become very unpopular very quickly yeah. for pointing out when the emperor's not wearing any clothes, which is the yeah. case in, in weightlifting, unfortunately, in, in the U.S. It's exactly right. I mean, people. Here's another way I look at it. Okay, generally, you'll snatch roughly eighty percent of what you clean and jerk. Right? Our, our top lifters tend, to, if they're really, really good, our best lifters will clean and jerk with the top people snatch. Yeah. If they're really good. And uh, I think part of the reason is we don't have, like, incentives maybe that mm-hmm. create an interest in the sport. But, but most of all, we don't have a role model. I mean, you can have one yeah. person do well and suddenly everyone would be interested. Who in the United States was ever interested in the Tour de France before a guy from Texas named Lance Armstrong started winning? Why was Lance yeah. Armstrong interested? Because... A kid from Carson City, Nevada, named Greg LeMond had started winning the Tour de France before that. Nobody in the U.S. followed that before. And now, I mean, you go you go to the Tour de France and you stand on the side of the road, you're going to hear Americans speaking English almost as much as French people speaking French. Mm-hmm. So you could do that with one weightlifter. I think, you know, it might have to be a super heavyweight. It would be a rocky kind of story. It's a natural movie. Clint Eastwood, yeah. are you listening? Um, <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. Would you say that also, I mean, for me, I, I've traveled a bit and uh, been to other countries and, and been privileged to go in there. It's, you you look, and our best athletes, of course, are going where the money is. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what you say. It's like there's no incentive. Um, whereas it's it's a real honor to, let's say, in Thailand to win the Olympics. Whereas here, somebody wins the Olympics. Um, let's, let's say Michael Phelps. He won all those gold medals. Um, you never hear his name now. Mm-hmm. Where, but but everybody knows Joe Montana's name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think <laughs> I think you know Europe has so much more of a history and and kind of a, um, mm-hmm. a, a and even even a, a preference for for performance. I think you know like like it or lump it. I mean, and it might be horrible to say, but so much of North American you know coming from you know the U.S. mostly and so forth, but certainly spilling up into a can and stuff is is this whole idea of the aesthetics, right? I mean, when you look at bodybuilding, bodybuilding kind of came into what it became in an American context, you know. And I mean, it's, it's kind of like the land of you know just uh, you know bling bling kind of a thing, you know. And when you factor that in, you know, put that up against the whole concept of again, um, you know, the, the lineage and the history. Um, yeah. In Europe, of, of more purest strength sports, and yeah. sir, I mean, and you're talking about you know, many, many, many decades of of, of even the general populace populace being exposed to it. Um, you know, even even through tele, televised um, um, events and so forth like that. And and not to mention, you know, what you were talking about before about um, incentives, incentives like you're saying, but, money and all this type of things. I mean, they have whole cam- you know more camps. They have, I mean, you know, it's. It's infamous, the whole idea is, you know, about the old Olympic teams, weightlifting teams over there, you know, having, you know, them snatching these kids when they were like, you know, young teenagers and basically, um, you know, molding them to what they want them to become. You know, don't worry about a job. Don't worry about this. This is what you're doing. And but, I'm not saying what that might not become after they leave the sport, but I mean, you know, I mean, all these things factor in. You make that argument, though, but I mean, if you look back, we had that at one point. When you look at the days when York Barbell was new. Or, or the times, you know, Paul Anderson. 
and it was big. We people cheered on our teams. And yeah, but look at the majority of the comments on YouTube now from people who clearly are of are English speaking oh, countries. Yes. And you post a video on there of some guy deadlifting a thousand pounds or some guy cleaning jerking five hundred and thirty pounds. And what are the comments on there from all the oh, the first or, he's or, fat. Oh, he's a fat ass. What a big fat yeah. piece of crap. I mean, this is what you keep seeing. Really? I mean, yeah. clearly. Clearly, I mean, and again, maybe I'm, I'm overstepping my bounds saying that's more specific to English people, but it certainly seems that way. But, I mean, but it's even just, just in the young populace of people, it's just like, the, people yeah. really just don't understand strength sports. No. They really don't. And you're saying, like, America used to have that. Well, sure. But it never had really, a, it didn't really have many years to germinate. You know? Actually, Rob, you know what you're talking about there? I've, I've been to conferences before where they were talking about the history of marathon running, which is really like the antithesis of what we're all about. But, but they were actually saying the same thing, the huge role that the media played in some of these African countries and how, you know, they just grew to dominate some of these distance sports because of the attention, the role models. And I know what, I can understand what Phil is saying too. I'm just saying, you know, oh, yeah. when yeah. you give something attention, you increase awareness, you turn on more kids, you got a bigger population to draw from. You know, that's I mean, and you look at things like, and I, I bring this up all the time, but it's only because it is so dominating right now in the, in, in the mainstream media for sports, MMA. Look at that. You have some guy like uh, that Roy Nelson guy, who, you know, what's his nickname, Big Country or something? And the guy is like, he's a chunky dude. And all people can talk about is how fat the guy is. Nobody can talk about, you know, whether he's winning or losing. That, that's always the secondary part of the story to people in North America. You know, look how fat the guy is. Or look at, you know, or people talk about all the time about, I mean, look at GSP, George St. Pierre. I mean, I was just in, this, in, a, in a drugstore today, and there was a big thing about his, you know, his new uh, video game get in shape thing, right, with a big picture of him on the front looking all buff and everything. It's like... You know, it's almost like it's secondary that this guy is a yeah. world champion athlete, and the primary thing of his marketing push is that, oh, look at how he looks. You could, you too, can look like this. You know, I agree. Again, I forget, agree. again, almost pushing to the side the fact that he looks like that because he's an athlete, which comes I agree. back to what you were saying, Phil. And by the way, I'm not arguing against any of you guys. I'm just yeah, I'm no, gonna, you're just saying because I don't have all the <laughs> answers either. I mean, I, I, what I, I agree in in a certain aspect, but at, at the same time. I can't believe it's because we don't have the athletes that are able to do it. And, oh, I mean, I don't believe that's that. just like, no, of course I, I mean, if we took if we took some of these freaks that are on the offensive lines and defensive lines in the NFL and the explosive power they have yeah. and put them in Olympic weightlifting, I mean, we have some. When you're Absolutely. 350 yeah, I, pounds and running a four-second 40. Yeah, we're, we're competing um, against ourselves, and, and if the United States didn't have so many options, we'd have more people showing yes. up in these sports. It's like the old days, a kid growing up in northern Canada, he could become a successful hockey player, be in the NFL, or he'd work in the local cement factory, be a logger <laughs> or something, right? Yeah. And that's what the deal is in countries like Bulgaria, and that's why there are lots of successful weightlifters who come from very poor countries. Our best mm -hmm. role model for weightlifting is not China or Bulgaria, which is what a lot of people try to do in the U.S. and seeking mm -hmm. a solution. It's to look at countries like Germany, which are our, our peers socioeconomically, and see yeah. what is it that they've done where they can also produce Formula One champions, Tour de mm -hmm. France champions, tennis champions, and have people still be interested in weightlifting. Because, yeah, yes. we have the talent, but here, here a kid can do so many things. It doesn't have to be a weightlifter as a way to be successful. And that's, yeah, exactly. No, and that, that's, a really, that's actually a really good point. I mean, you look at the whole idea of, you know, like the World Series in baseball. I mean, it only consists of North American teams. You know, like yeah. that whole idea, right? It's like, it's almost like North America. You know, 
excludes the rest of the world. Not so much Canada with hockey, because of course we, you know, we, outside of Canada, biggest influx of professional hockey players is like Sweden and things like that. But, you know, outside of that, it's like, it's almost like, the, you know, North America excludes the rest of the world and what we deem to be our sports. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think it's going to come down to, like Randall was talking about, um, one person. It's going to take Jim or, or whatever this hypothetical person's name is to not take that check he can get from the NFL and and do the strength sports, do Olympic lifting because he loves it. Uh, is what it's going to take. It's going to take one of these genetic. But I think, to, I, but I think in this in in this day and age, if there is a choice for this for Jim. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a chance in hell he's not going to take the check. That's the thing. That's the hard part. It's I mean, gonna, people I don't pe- know. people have been asking me for years and years, as I'm I'm sure they maybe have for you, Phil. And I've been told all the time, well, you know, it's a, it's a shame you didn't get into pro wrestling, or it's a shame you didn't get into football. It's a shame where the money is. And, and it was, it quite honestly, that was only comes down to initially, I suppose. You know, maybe I I, w- I wasn't aware of the fact that you know the Lee Haney's of the world weren't making five million dollars a year, but you know. Especially I, I, the way that they were portrayed in the Weeder magazines. You oh, thought they were the pantheon of Olympus and they're all rich and yeah. famous. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then, I mean, that was just pushed along again. I mean, ironically enough, it was pushed along by Vince McMahon when he started the, you know, WBF in the early 90s, you know, with his magazine, you know, Lifestyles of the, the what, what, what was that, the tagline for that? Or the huge and famous or what, whatever the heck it was, you know, every pictorial was of, you know, Gary Stram and all these guys like in their, Luxurious bathrooms, gold-plated bathrooms. Oh, right, or their their two hundred thousand dollar car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Doctor Strawson, do your your, you know, um, the the privilege you've had of of traveling and seeing all these places. Let's take that um, Germany that you spoke of. Can you expand potentially on how how they are successfully doing that compared to us? Well, you know, that would be a tough one to put my finger on, but you know. See, here's another element, and this maybe helps explain Germany's success. Another element, I think, I think the end of the Cold War really worked against Olympic sports like weightlifting. And, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. why yeah. there's still the few remaining communist countries are still good in the sport. Because the way, another thing that's really worked against weightlifting is that the sport is still run with a communist mentality, if you will, a socialist mentality. It's not out there succeeding in the free market the way MMA is, right? MMA doesn't need subsidies. It's out there. It's doing very well in the open market. Weightlifting has not made that transition. Now, coming back to Germany, Germany had the advantage maybe in a way when they were unified, they still had some of these East German athletes who were raised just the way that you were talking about, picked out early, separated from families. You know, you're going to become a great star, probably said all sorts of things that we'd rather not discuss, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) And then Germany had also this other thing we talked about. It had this tradition of strength. Um, it was in the culture. What I think the U.S. can learn is that you can take a modern, developed country like Germany, you know, Porsches come from there, et cetera, and weightlifting can be appealing. And so if you get a good role model, you get a good coach, and you have a small program that focuses on elite athletes and only rewards performance, I think those are the steps forward. You know, tough love in Germany. This isn't going to, you're not going to yeah. mollycoddle people for going out and cleaning and jerking 60 kilos day after day. Yeah. Do you um, see any of our current athletes as somebody that has a potential of doing this? Being the one. You know, Kendrick Ferris, you know, was looking good. He really surprised me at the last Olympics. He really outdid himself, and someone <clears throat> needed to really put a burner under him. And it was really a pity, you know, that the year after the Olympics, 
people weren't doing, people starting with Kendrick weren't doing everything possible to have him do his best at the next mm-hmm. World Championship because he could have maybe been a medal contender in the clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's languished a little bit right now. You know, the U.S. does not have a slot for a man at the mm-hmm. We still haven't earned one. Yeah. So we don't even have one. You know, this kid, Pat Mendez, I guess he got blasted a lot on YouTube. He did these really big lifts on YouTube and then goes to the World Championships and, you know, lifts stuff that's like you know, yeah. they call the red plates off the bar. <laughs> you know, a big yeah. difference. Yeah. So I would say, not nah, Kendrick was, you know, one guy that, that was looking good a few years ago. But we're back to numbers. <clears> Do you think he's... I think you need to have a certain pool of talent so that you get the star and then all see competition. We all, well, yeah. not all of us, but competition brings out the best in some people. And ultimately, mm-hmm. sports is competition. You need competition to help push yourself along. You might hate your competitor, but even if he beats you, because he's there, he's probably making you go faster or yeah. lift more than you would have otherwise. And so you need that pool. You need a certain pool of competitors. I don't know yeah. if there's, there's no magic wand that I have, at least, for solving this. No, I think that's that's correct. I mean, the, the competition. You started seeing that in, in Cheryl Hayworth and athletes yeah. like Sarah Robles before Cheryl was yeah. hurt and stuff like that. They were pushing each other along real well. Um, so let's move on and let's talk about Highland Games for a minute. Um, it is really expanded. I, I, I personally compete in that, and it's one of those sports that me as a powerlifter and a Highland Games athlete, it's refreshing to go into a, a games and – you know, whereas if I'm at a powerlifting meet, even if it's a Worlds, you know, there's probably 50 people in the in the crowd, and most of those are friends and family. Whereas yeah. when I throw at a Highland Games, you know, I, I started in Phoenix. I was privileged to start throwing there, and that's where the Women's World Championships held yep. every year, and we'd have 30,000 people. Yeah. And, oh, God, it's amazing as an athlete to be able to, to do that. And I think that the fair atmosphere of the games and, and where they're thrown helps it a lot. Don't you enjoy being outside, too? Oh, yeah, than, yes. I mean, I think that's a whole element yeah. in the Highland Games. Yeah. Just, just the fact that it's outside. And, you know, if I get tired of Strongman, if it starts to seem too WWE-ish to me, mm-hmm. it's really refreshing to go to Highland Games. Yeah. You're out there, maybe, you know, you start in the morning, maybe it's cold, maybe there's dew on the grass, you can smell the grass, the bagpipes. It's, it's a whole different experience, and it kind of reminds you, of the most wholesome part of the Iron Game, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know the seedier ends that we run into, and you know, in some of these things. And I think the Highland Games, one of the reasons why you have these big crowds, is because they're family friendly, and you yes. have to spare. Yes. You can see stuff like dogs herding cattle, or go mm-hmm. drink scotch if you want, you know, at, at wherever. But um, that's why you have the big crowds. You know, we have Pleasanton here in, in Northern California, yes. like, like six-figure crowds. Yeah, I, I helped out at Pleasanton last year. No, it's, a, it's just. Did a, I meet you there then, and just don't remember it? Or oh, probably I, so. I don't. I, I don't recall. I was so yeah, busy carrying yeah. weights for everybody that I. Yeah. I, oh, Are you going to be here this year? Will you be out this year? Or? I, I'm not sure because I just moved back from. I, I lived in Vallejo. Um, oh God. <laughs> so and then I've moved back to Topeka, Kansas. But I'm. We we travel out there. I'm going to be up there April first. I'm going to do a powerlifting meet up in Sacramento, but. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to make it back out there. I need to earn my way onto the team at Pleasanton yeah. is what I need to do. Um, but, um, no, I think I think that's their biggest success was tying into these already existing events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if another sport can do that. Um, I've, I've successfully done it. Too. Yeah, there's a huge tradition. Yeah, it's... Um, I don't know if, if another one of these sports, be it Olympic lifting, powerlifting, or strongman, can do such a thing, tie to a, a, yeah. a, a more traditional event, but it would be a help. 
I got to ask you: Did you have a throwing background too, or was powerlifting really your focus for strength? Powerlifting. I started in strongman and then powerlifting, and then came into how I was successful in Highland Games was uh, my strength. And now, yeah, if, I'm move, yeah. if I'm going to move past the A class, it's I'm one of those people that I have to get technical because I made right. it. I made it to A class just by being dumb and strong, and that's not going <laughs> to that, that's not going to get any further. I, I so, got to ask: what, What's your favorite event in Highland Games? <laughs> Mine. Yeah, I'm good at the hammer. Um, so yeah. I like the hammer, though. Isn't that interesting? See, I never would have guessed that because the way you've portrayed yourself, I would have thought, nah, probably not good in something like that. So you're obviously very athletic. You're being modest. You're actually <laughs> strong, but you're athletic. You could be good at the hammer otherwise. Yeah. So that's definitely the one. I don't know. For some reason, I took it up uh, faster than any of the other ones. Have you so. hit anybody with it yet? No, I've never hit good. it. Well, I almost hit my training <laughs> part. Very close, but uh, uh, other than that, no. Uh, my dog got hit by a weight over bar here. Oh no, no, no! But uh, no. no, it's a. I don't know. There's something about Highland Games too that, like any other throwing, it's very addictive in the fact that uh, I want to throw it one more foot. You know, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's like the golf swing. You hit that one perfect swing, and you want to, you want to try and do that again. But um, yeah, you know, talking about that, I heard Al Order speak once of this this great thing about his coach. You know, what he went four Olympic gold medals. His coach was his towel. And he just put his, his towel at his PR distance out in the field and just tried to throw farther than that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's great stuff. Um, and then, yeah, like we were getting to, I don't know. I, I've i seen people kind of try and do it with, um, you know, I think tying events into, like, the Arnold Sports Fest helps. Mm-hmm. It helps all the sports. If, if we could get more of that going on, I think we'll get more coverage. Mm-hmm. Um and things like that, because you're just not seeing covered. Heck, it's hard to get a newspaper to show up and and take pictures of a powerlifting meet or, a, or an Olympic lifting meet. I've been right. pretty successful with it here, but other than that, we just we don't see it. We don't see Olympic weightlifting on TV from the Olympics hardly. Um, yeah. We catch we catch well, feeds but on. That, but that's you know the thing you put your finger on. Once watch a guy who came in thirtieth place. I mean, it used to be this flying yeah. bike racing. You know, nobody remembers who came in fifth. It's no, it's you know fifth place. It's like. Nobody knows that that guy. <laughs> you you yeah. know, now we're talking about people who are lifting in B session or in C session. They're yeah. so far out of the metal hunt. You know, who's who's going to watch them? That's so true. It, it becomes a circular thing. You know, you got to have the champion to yeah. inspire people and to get on TV. But you know, it's how do you get the first one? But anyway. that's true. And I guess we're we're probably a niche group. The people that just love the sport and don't mind. I don't mind watching the Chinese lifters and the German lifters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but I guess you're right. The general population would have no real interest if we're not winning, um, yeah. or at least contending. You see how the nationalism coming out? Yeah, I, I'm like you though. I get like really, I'm enthusiastic about the sport. I'd rather have it be an American. But hey, you know, if some guy's going to clean and jerk 260 kilos, I'll, I'll watch. I don't care where he comes from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, geez, what else can we touch on? What any other big changes you've seen over the years? Um, Maybe publications? Uh, do, you, do you think there's a well, lot of general coverage? You know, coverage you know the thing that you guys talked about, about gyms, I think this is important. I think we're seeing more participation in strength sports. Mm-hmm. People are finding that they like it. They like being strong. All the stuff that we've all discovered a long time ago, other people are discovering. It's fun yeah. to throw stuff. It's fun to do power cleans. You don't have to just do pec deck sort of stuff when you go in a gym. Okay? It's fun to be strong. And I think we're seeing more participation. It's this um, competitive thing, the functional thing, the garage gym feeds into that. All these different sports, we're seeing more and more sports. Okay, strongman. None of us knew about strongman other than 
World's Strongest Man TV show 10 years ago none of us knew about. Well, Highland Games, fairly new. Now there's their hybrid combinations, right? This thing called Highlander, which draws from both Highland Games and Strongman. So more options out there, so it's more likely that someone who's got the interest can be introduced to something he or she's going to enjoy doing that's strength-oriented. And that's yeah. a big change, I think. Can, can it also be that the nature of pure strength sports is such that it's hard for a promoter or someone to market to a general population to charge money for something that they think is not worthwhile while the, the event takes three seconds? Because I've kind of heard know. things yeah. that kind of you know give way to thinking that way from you know comments that I've heard from people. You know, like it's just interesting. Yeah, unless you're so 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 into it, you really understand. The nuances of all these things, yeah. like, like again, talking from my neck the powerlifting thing, right? I mean, I mean, yeah. even people who lift weights, you know, and are into bodybuilding, don't know jack shit. Generally speaking, excuse my language, about powerlifting, you know, they don't understand the nuance of, you know, this guy in this weight class lifting this with this type of form with a monolift versus yeah. this guy using a single ply poly but only knee warmers and not knee wraps and. I mean, they, they have no idea of all these types of things. And then you plunk them, and, and, and I, again, I'm talking about people who actually do engage in routine training in a bodybuilding style yeah. or, you know, more of that, that yeah. traditional kind of style, and they don't get it. So if you're asking some person, oh, you, you, you want to go look at this guy, they, they don't, they're thinking, what's the point? You're just seeing a bunch of guys lift something, and I can't tell if it's good or not. And I've even heard family members say that to me, you know. It's, it's hard yeah. to, you know, when you're watching it to figure out, you know, is is this good? Is that good? I don't really understand. I mean, I remember at my meet at, at two two meets ago, um, there was a guy who was deadlifting with a deadlift suit, and he was doing sumo. And I had my sister, my eldest sister, who was there, and she had never she never trains or anything. She comes up to me afterwards. She goes, "I don't get it. It doesn't even look like the same lift the way he's mm-hmm. lifting because I you I." Pull conventional. He pulls sumo, and he, you know it doesn't look fair because he's pulling it, you know, a foot off the ground. You're pulling it three and a half feet off the ground. Uh, you know, like they they have no idea what they're looking at. Yeah. And then when you factor in again what I was saying previous about the fact that the event is over so darn quickly in their eyes, it I, I think it just kind of people people get lost. They they, they just I are like oh. Right. You know, I even if you go into even some of these websites, I've heard people joking about people who engage in pure strength training, saying, "Oh, big deal! You lift a heavy, a heavy thing up and you put it down," and and that's you know, and that's actually that's actually the wording that a lot of people use on this particular board I'm talking about. Rob, you know what? I was going to say something earlier, and now I feel compelled. We are so inundated with like the big three sports, especially to me, basketball. You know, you're talking about how absurd it seems to pick up something heavy and and, and set it down, but. It's, that's certainly no more absurd than shoving an orange ball into a little red hoop. And that's what we, you know, and we see that glorified and people talk about every statistical nuance of that sport until you're ready to vomit. And now, yes, I'm short and I don't care about basketball. But at the same time, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's constantly spun with music and media and events and you know there's all this excitement build up and what they're doing frankly i think is is similarly bizarre i mean let's face it a basketball game usually comes down to the last minute anyway you know so i mean you talk about the fact that in, in a practical term lifting being able to lift up something heavy and put it back down from a survivalist standpoint certainly has more pragmatic carryover than, i would think that then throwing a, a thing something through a hoop probably or, you know, okay, we're, we're biased, right? We're biased. And again, no, I'm not ripping on any of these sports because I don't think my sport's better than any other sport. It happens to be my favorite sport, but I'm not of the opinion. I'm just saying it's just, it becomes 
bothersome after a while. When, when and again, yeah. I'm not even talking about you know uh, forums where people have no idea whatsoever about any sort of resistance training or strength or anything. Highland Games, the people who are actually into bodybuilding and know the names of Mr. Olympia and you know this guy's name, and they have no idea. They have no idea what they're talking about. You know, look at this guy. This you know Benedict guy is you know yeah. lifting a thousand thirteen pounds. Look at he's big fat. He's he's a fat guy. It's like, yeah. are you serious? Like, like it, it, it really has become bothersome to me. And then people are like, oh yeah, well, big deal. Like, you know, they'll show a picture of, you know, some elite strongman doing something, and be like, oh, big fat guy can lift something heavy and put it back down. Like, yeah. See, see, my friends used to say, yeah, but who cares? Look at that bodybuilder. He, he came and squat four hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always using, you know, your preferred metric and and everything. But I think this point is good though about not understanding, and that's why. People tell me they prefer strongman. I, I, in the end, want to see what yes. someone can lift on a barbell. We can all relate to it. That's why the barbell was invented. It's standardized. No, but I don't agree out. with that because I think it's, uh, for the average person, they can understand when some guy's lift, you know, standing in, in, in the frame of a VW bug and, and running down the street with it. They can relate to that better than, okay, here's this guy who weighs 275 pounds and he's wearing a single-ply suit and he's squatting 785 pounds. No, most, I most think people you're have right, no idea. The average person has no idea. Like, is that is that really good? Is that kind right. of good? I mean, the average I, person I, my can't tell the difference. Press is eight hundred pounds. Like, they don't know. But when you show show a guy lifting a four hundred pound rock, people are like, right. oh, you know, I got yeah. some heavy. Right. I got I got yeah. some rocks. And that's why, that's why people like strongmen because they yeah. don't know what those. How heavy are those twenty five kilo plates? Yes, you know, exactly. they don't know that. Well, that's and, what I'm and, saying. But yeah. me, I would rather see the barbell actually. In yeah, because that's why. That's because the people on this show. Get it? We understand. Yeah. You, know, you, you, and that's what I was gonna say. That's why strongman, I think, has become uh, has become popular. Um, I know it's it's worked for me at the ones I've thrown. I, you know, I put together an axle and I put big thirty six inch truck tires on it. Even though the thing only weighs one hundred and fifty pounds, yeah. people think it's really heavy. Right. Yeah. Whereas I can load eight hundred pounds on a deadlift bar or mm. two twenty five on a deadlift bar, and they really don't know the difference. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching Brad Gillingham do an exhibition 855 deadlift at the Arnold Classic many years ago when I was there with Lonnie, and I talk about this a lot because it was so. It was I I was in awe watching him do that. You know, at that time it was just like I can't believe I just saw that with my own eyes. And you know, as soon as it immediately puts it down, right? You know, him and Bill Kazmaier, who was kind of emceeing. You know, they're kind of talking to some of the people that were milling around watching and stuff. And you wouldn't believe the hordes of you know, kind of like you know semi-muscular 45-year-old men with a little vein going down their arms, right, who belong to the local gym, who are walking up to the deadlift bar and bending over and actually trying to lift it up. Yeah. It, it just proved to me that it, and it, was, it was just loaded with, stand, with standard, like, you know, typical pound plates, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so it's like, and I was just standing there thinking, are these, like, they were literally trying to pick it up. But you know what, Rob? Why do? Why like, is there no like, frame of reference? You're pounds, and you belong to the local freaking like you know um, L.A. Fitness Club. I mean, you've never you know, and you. It's like people have no idea. Oh, that must be pretty heavy. But I bet I could lift it if I really try. It's. Like, I think we're back. You know what? We're. I think we're back to then. You know, media awareness, education. Uh, most people just they don't have any frame of reference. That's why you get these 150 pound little you know kind of twink guys trying to pick up an 800 pound barbell. It's, you know, they just, they haven't been shown an appreciation for what's real. It's like we were talking last week. You know, people get their awe buttons pressed so flippantly because half of what's on the Internet is false that they become desensitized and they can't appreciate that even a couple of hundred pounds, 
you know, coming off the floor. That's a big deal. That's very cool. And they just, you know, they don't yeah. know what's real. I want to put one more thing out there for, for Dr. Strauss before we go. Um, back on the strength sports, and we'll concentrate on Olympic lifting just because it's an easy um, target here. Um, you know, we put kind of all the blame on either media or the athletes themselves not getting involved. Um, and it's something I've recently become aware of more uh, with my facility opening and, and the people I have coming in. I've had two, recently two young ladies that are in their early 20s come in who, due to their build and their, their athletic ability, could have been something great. Um, we all know that at, at 23, you know, they should be peaking now if they were going to go to the Olympics. So it's, it's really, honestly, sadly, too late for them. But um, And they say the only reason they never got into it, they always wanted to, was they didn't have anyone to teach them. Yeah. So you look, at, you look at the U.S., and then let's say you look at China. I mean, China has almost as many coaches as right. we do Olympic athletes. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? true. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That's a and good point. it's. Yeah. I think a lot of it we can't lay all that blame. It's we have to lay the blame some on people like myself who need to get the word out there more and yeah. draw people in and Not show to them the this fact is a that great North sport. America, as Lonnie has kind of you know said so many times in the past, and it's true, we have so many certification programs, and 99% of these people who get these certification cards, they go and then teach people resistance training, and you know as well as I do that they have no business yes. Yes. teaching yeah. somebody how to squat. Because yeah. if you walked up to them and said, you know, said, ask them something easy like are you doing olympic style squats or they, they wouldn't even know what the difference is yeah right. you know it's and it's, it's so i think that's a problem too because you're talking about you know a lack of people teaching that and then when you compound that with the fact that you have so many of these idiots earning money in gyms you know the, the continent over teaching people when they have no business training themselves well, you know, you know what, Rob? According to the American American Society of Exercise Physiologists, there's over 300 different certifications Ugh. for personal training and strength coaching and whatnot. And so, and why is this? It's because it's done for financial purposes. It's done for greed. Right. We're going to make up our make one up. We're going to pull one out of our behind instead of having one with a you know, let's say a bachelor's degree minimum and you know some. Um, internship of a thousand hours and you know all these sorts of rigor it's way better just to ask someone for three hundred dollars for four hours yeah. on a saturday and flip them out their silly little certificate i mean i mean there's i mean i got a a, a personal trainer special a certificate a few years ago just for legal reasons for the gym i was working at needed you know something legally to for insurance purposes and i t i'm telling you right now i am certified now as a personal training specialist and i went for three weekends yeah and three you're probably weekends, dumber for half going. of which both half of which, which each day of those three weekends was spent with people eating sandwiches and you know <laughs> well, and, you know chatting about what they did the night before. I mean, and, and it's it's embarrassing. And like I say, I only did it because I, for insurance reasons. But I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching these people, and they don't know. I mean, three weekends you can, if you you can't teach somebody properly the mechanics of squatting in three months. You know, I mean, going into the gym, it's 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 boggles my mind and so dr strawson let's let's ask, ask our guest i mean what what do you think is um a solution for this kind of thing just how do we document experience or get more qualified uh, coaches i'll tell you i i don't know the solution but i'm going to underline what you said and i would never have bet 10 or 20 years ago that we would see something like this and it kind of reminds me of california real estate prices you say at what point is this balloon going to just burst this is incredible. Everyone is certified for everything. And 
You can imagine some of the questions we get here at Ironman from people, I'm certified this and certified that. By the way, what's a collar? How do you put a collar on a bar? You know, <laughs> or, and, or what and, is a collar? Yeah, you know. No, I got that just a few weeks ago. What's a, what's a collar? I said, can I borrow the collars? What's a collar? <laughs> so, I don't know. You know, I like that idea about, you know, internship, for example. But, but it is greed. It is money. You know, and then they turn around and they will sort of, they get their certification and then, Probably if they pay a little extra more, then they can in turn certify people. And um, it just becomes, you know, one of these multi-level sales schemes, right? Yeah, yep. And everyone buys into it because the more they beat the drum, the more participants, the more money ends up in their pocket. And, yeah. and we're seeing that. We're seeing money really fueling a lot of these things. Uh, they take on the appearance of this or that. But if you really look at the underlying reason for the growth, a lot of people are making money from those activities. It's being mm-hmm. spread around. A lot of people are yep. being enriched. And that is the real thing that's greasing the skid. That, that's why, say, Olympic-style weightlifting, you know, doesn't maybe hit so, so high on popularity scales. Nobody is making money on it. Mm-hmm. You know, some administrators make a living, but that's about it. A couple of superstars yeah. in Europe do well, but... And not but to anyway, mention, I, I think this. I think the certification thing is a problem. I think it's farcical, and and it is there is really this greed thing underlying it. I would just and add, add something. It's only because you just it's something you just said for some reason tricked off. I mean, you go into ninety nine percent of the gyms in North America. I mean, whether or not they are a fitness club, a health club, a gym, even powerlifting clubs, and and they're all. They all, you know, a powerlifter can generally speak to get a, get a, a session in at, at an average health club, you know, maybe not as good, but and vice versa. But I mean, how many people, how many places, establishments, have anything set up for Olympic lifting? Oh, none. I mean, you, you know, the average person can't train with any seriousness in the average gym with like metal pound plates. They won't let you. I mean, they won't tolerate it. I mean, you go in these gyms now; they have buzzers going off if you make too much noise. Yeah. You know, what do you do? Like, you know, drop? They don't have lifting platforms. They don't have the bumper plates. I mean, even if you really want to, I mean, you can't do it really with total, you know. Um, don't, don't a lot of the chain gyms prohibit chalk even? Somebody told me. Yes, absolutely. What kind of can't use chalk? I said, what kind of gym is that? But, well, know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Gold's gyms now that don't let you deadlift. Yeah. Uh, really? I'm, are you? And there's a lot of G- Gold's Gym franchises now mm-hmm. that their heaviest dumbbells is mandated to be nothing more than 80 pounds. That makes me sad. This is Gold's Gym. Yeah. At one time, the hub of all resistance yeah. training. Right. In- Emasculated yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. For, yeah. for God's sake, their, their logo is somebody deadlifting, and they won't let you do it. <laughs> yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but, um, no, I think, I think those are all great points, and... Um, you know the, the certifications, and we probably have more. God, I, people that call themselves so-called coaches now than than anybody. And the sad fact is that that even our our own Olympic training committee, it's working so well that we have to pull coaches from other countries. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, that's you know, a... <laughs> you know got to get a consultant who's at least five hundred miles away. You know that yeah. whole thing. You, you know, you can look. If I live next to you guys, you probably want to call me up, yeah. right? It's, yeah. But I'm I'm out in California. So yeah. I think that's part of it, and it is a mistake, you know, because, look, they're going to put their pants on one leg at a time in, in those countries the same way they will yeah. here. They're, they're no big solutions. Yep. 
Well, I think this is a great show. We're, we're, we got to wrap it up. We're, yeah, we're we got to wrap it up because I'm starting to get hot, hot under the collar here. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we could go on for hours. It's been great having you on, Dr. Shawson. Well, I have really enjoyed this. Thanks for the invitation, and uh, really been fun chatting with you guys. Yeah, Thanks great. a lot. We'd love to have you on again. Okay, thank you. Thanks, everybody. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the -the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount. However, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place. That's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.